0: Welcome back to Youth Group Radio. Today we are continuing our study, going through the Gospel of John. This is John Part 30, and we begin in chapter 10, verse 22. It was winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again the people picked up stones to kill him, and Jesus said, At my Father's direction I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, We're stoning you, not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods, and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the Son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do His work, believe in the evidence of the signs I have done, even if you don't believe in me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Once again they tried to arrest Him, but He got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River, near the place where John was first baptizing, and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another. But everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Let me set the scene for you. It was a cold winter. It had been three years since the great disaster. Everyone in the city had lost all hope. As far as they were concerned, nothing good would ever return to them. Smiles were only a memory antiques of what once was. Three years since the enemy stormed in and trampled all over their beloved city, their home. Many had been killed, brothers, fathers, sisters, mothers, friends, but they were the lucky ones, for there were many others who were captured and put into prison to rot away for the remainder of their days. Neighbors used to be able to trust each other. But now, some neighbors were trying to get on the good side of the invaders, even if it meant betraying their people. And yet, within the dark picture, there were still some who believed. They believed that God was not done with them. They believed that one day, they would worship their God in their temple again. But at the moment the temple was being used to worship Zeus and other foreign gods. The invaders were doing all kinds of wickedness in the temple. This has to stop, some said. Something must be done. Talks of revolution were brewing. We're going to do something. We're going to stand up to our oppressors and take the temple back, no matter the cost. The Lord our God will be worshipped again In the temple by our people they devise a surprise attack and to everyone's shock they win the invaders were overthrown and the city was liberated they ran in the temple and destroyed all of the false idols in there and they offered proper sacrifices they lit lamps and they praised their lord like they had never done before they then declared that every winter a festival should be kept to remember this victory. It's called Hanukkah, which is the Hebrew word for dedicate, and Jewish people all around the world still celebrate it today around what we call Christmas time. This all happened in 167 BC. A foreign empire invaded and destroyed Jerusalem and took over their temple to worship all the Greek gods and goddesses. The Jewish resistance was led by a man named Judas Maccabeus. When they took back their city and their temple, Judas Maccabeus became a hero, a legend, and more than anything, he and his family became kings. The Jewish people had been without a king of their own for hundreds of years and their kings were supposed to be descendants of King David. But Judas Maccabeus wasn't a descendant of David. But as far as the people were concerned, he was the closest thing to King David that they had ever seen. And so Judas Maccabeus started a dynasty of kings which lasted for a hundred years. It would eventually come to an end when the Roman Republic took over in A.D. 37. The Romans made Herod the great king over the Jews instead. But Herod actually married a princess from the family of Judas Maccabeus to show that he was intending to continue the line. And so think about this. Every time the Jewish people celebrated Hanukkah, they were reminded of the time when a no-name man from a no-name family, defeated the invading empire, and became king. That happened in 167 BC, and you fast forward almost 200 years later, and here we are in our passage in John chapter 10. Verse 22 says, At the time of the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. So it was during this time, during this Hanukkah time, that this passage happens. John rarely ever gives useless information. He intentionally wanted to point out that this passage happens during Hanukkah. At the beginning of our passage today, Jesus walks in the temple, you know, the place that Judas Maccabeus recaptured and drove the foreign empire out. And he's standing around the columns of Solomon, you know, Solomon the son of David, the great wise King Solomon, who was the one who built the temple. So do you see the picture? The Jewish people are under the control of the Roman Empire, dreaming of a way, and dreaming of a day when someone would liberate them from Rome. It's Hanukkah. They're at their temple, they're thinking of Judas Maccabeus, they're thinking about Solomon, and there's Jesus, standing in the middle of all of it, mystery surrounding him. What do the Jewish people do? (laughs) They approach Jesus, they gather around him and ask, How long? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Do you feel it? Once you understand the background of Hanukkah, you realize just how desperate and heavy their question is, how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah? Tell us plainly. They just want a straightforward answer, a simple yes or no. Are you the Messiah? Come on, Jesus, that's all they need. Why can't you just tell them that you are the Messiah? Why doesn't God just put his face in the sky and say, I am God. Why can't Jesus just make it a little easier, you know? Well, here's the problem. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also not the Messiah. You hear that and you say, that seems wrong. This is what I mean. Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised by God to rescue and bless all nations. Now, what that rescue looks like, and what that blessing looks like, is a mystery at this point in Scripture. But regardless, he is the Messiah. But he's also not the Messiah. And when I say that, what I mean is, he's not the Messiah that the first century Jewish people had constructed in their heads. He's not their definition of Messiah. As far as they were concerned, the Messiah was going to look a lot like David and Solomon and a lot like Judas Maccabeus, a powerful king who will lead his people to battle and to destroy the oppressive Roman Empire, finally bringing liberation. Spoiler alert, Jesus isn't going to do that. He's not the Messiah that they're expecting. So think about this. They ask him, just tell us plainly are you the Messiah? If Jesus says yes, he leads them astray, as they think that he is the Messiah that they were expecting. And if Jesus says no, he leads them astray, because although he is not their version of Messiah, he still is the Messiah. So, Jesus doesn't give them a straightforward answer. He says in verse 25, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He starts off by saying, I've already told you, but you don't believe. In the previous passage, Jesus talked about how he is the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. And we looked in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel 34, where we learned that the good shepherd is both God and king. But, you see, the his people... They're not looking for a shepherd. They're looking for a military leader. And Jesus is telling them, I'm not your war leader. I'm the good shepherd. That's what the true king looks like. And he says, But you don't believe me because you're not among my sheep. He's continuing this shepherd picture. Verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Wait, so whose hand are the sheep in? First he said they can't snatch them out of my hand, and then he said they can't snatch them out of the Father's hand. Is it Jesus's or the Father's hand? Well, verse 30 clears it up. He says, I and the Father are one. To be in the hand of Christ is to be in the hand of the Father. If you believe in Jesus, you are in God's hand, the hand of Christ, the hand of the Father, the hand of the Holy Spirit. The people are looking everywhere for their version of Messiah to rescue them from Rome, but here is Jesus leading us into eternal life, holding us safely where nothing can take us away, not even death. When I was a child, around eight years old, I put my trust in Jesus for the first time. I was scared. I wanted Jesus to forgive me and to love me and to make his home in my heart. I didn't have the perfect theology, but all I knew was I need Jesus. I went before my church to tell everyone and They were all clapping, and they were so happy for me, and after the service, I I had to stand up front, and everyone lined up to congratulate me, which I didn't really look forward to, because I prefer to not talk to people, if I'm honest. And that whole Sunday morning service was just a blur to me, except for three things. The first thing was, I remember being very nervous. The second thing was, there was this goofy man This goofy man named Jamie, he shook my hand and he said with a big smile on his face, he said, hey, we're brothers now. You're my brother. And then the third thing I remember was some lady that I had never seen before. She bent down and she held both of my hands and she said, you are in Jesus's hands. And Jesus says that no one can ever snatch you out of his hands, no matter what. I don't think those two people realized how much I needed to hear that. You know, over the years since that moment, there were many dark nights of me thinking that I must not belong to Jesus, thinking that surely I'm not good enough, that I must have messed something up. But then I would always think back to that goofy guy. He was so confident that we were brothers. He was so confident that I belonged. And then I would think back to that sweet, kind lady. She told me that Jesus would never let me go. I needed that more than they know. If you trust in Jesus, he holds you. You belong, and nothing can snatch you away. In verse 31, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's not the answer the people were looking for. And for the second time in John's gospel, the people immediately pick up stones to kill Jesus. Jesus just claimed to be God. It's time to die. But Jesus responds in verse 32 I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? And the people answered It's not for any good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They're saying, you're calling yourself God. That's blasphemy. You must be punished. Blasphemy is punishable by death in their law. Blasphemy simply means speaking profanely about God. And so, how does Jesus respond? Does he say, well, actually, I really am God, so you're the one who's blaspheming. Does he say, oh, no, no, sorry, I didn't mean to say that I am God. I just meant that God and I are really close, like we're one, you know, we're tight. No, he doesn't say that either. It's the same situation with him saying yes or no to the question about being Messiah. You see, Jesus is God, but Jesus is not the man-made God in their heads. Jesus is not the man-made gods in our heads where we think that we have God all figured out, and we think we know what his passions are and what his motivations are. We think we know what glory and power and might are. They are convinced that Jesus is not God, and they're kind of right. He's not the God that they have constructed in their heads, but he is the one true God. So how does he respond? He says, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Now what in the world is that all about? Jesus is referencing Psalm chapter 82, where God is speaking to Israel, telling them that they are gods. Little g-gods, however you want to think of that. The passage says, You are gods, you are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. The point there is that Israel was appointed to be God's adopted children, bringing light into the world, bringing justice to the poor and the orphan, to the oppressed, delivering people from evil. That's what Psalm 82 is about. But they weren't. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Instead of rescuing people from oppressors, they were being the oppressors. They were not acting like children of God. But that's not Jesus' point here. His point here is, you're getting mad about me saying that I am one with the Father, saying that I am the Son of God? Throughout the Old Testament, like the Psalms and the book of Job, there are times when people or possibly uh, angelic beings are referred to as sons of God or even as gods. And Jesus is pointing that out, saying, if God uses the term gods for something less than God, why is it blasphemy to use the term son of God for the one who is consecrated and sent into the world? It's a strange rebuttal. But we learn something here. The people in this passage know nothing of blasphemy. I would say that we know nothing of blasphemy. We think that blasphemy is cussing out God and giving God the finger and blaming God for something and saying that we hate God. Say what you want about God. He's not going to kill you over it. How do I know this? Look at Jesus. This is God in the flesh. And people literally are saying the worst things to him. They hate him, they call him all kinds of names, and eventually they all shout together that they want him crucified. That sounds a lot like blasphemy, if Jesus is who he says he is. And so when Jesus is hanging on the cross, does he say, you guys just wait until I come back for round two, you blasphemers. You will rue the day that you talked bad about me. No. no he, he says, and it's, it's amazing. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In John's gospel, he simply says, it is finished. Say what you want about God. He's not afraid. and He's not mad. Just look at him in this passage. Jesus has not given up on them. Jesus is more patient than than you could ever wish he was. Some might read Jesus tell them in verse 26 that when he says, you're not my sheep, and so we just assume, okay, they don't belong to him. He said they're not his sheep. But then why does he tell them in verse 37, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. He's saying, even if you don't believe me, look at my works. If I'm not doing the works of God, don't believe, but look at my works so that you may know and understand. In the Greek, those words, know and understand, in this verse, are actually the same Greek word. gnosko, meaning to know. It's just that one is in the past tense and the other is in the present tense. In other words, Jesus is saying so that you may know and continue to know. Jesus has not given up on them. They're looking for a false messiah. They're mad about Jesus offending a fake God. And Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at what I do. I want you to know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. To look at me is to look at God. They want to be rescued from the invading empire, just like Judas Maccabeus did. But Jesus came to defeat a greater empire in a much greater and a much different way. He did not conquer like Judas Maccabeus, shedding the blood of his enemies. Jesus will conquer by shedding his own blood out of love for his enemies. That is glory. That is power. That is king. We consider his crown of thorns humiliating. We don't realize that that crown is glorious. Even after Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't have a taste for blood. He didn't have a taste for revenge. He calls his disciples to spread the good news to the ends of the earth, spreading good news. And that brings me to the final verses of this chapter. Let's listen to the last three verses of our passage. He went away again. Across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. I want to be like that. I want this to be me. I want people to say, you know, he didn't do any signs. There was nothing really impressive about him, really. But everything he said about Jesus was true. The question is, what am I saying about Jesus? What are you saying about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let's let him answer. And today he says that he and the Father, they're one. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be posting again next week. Be sure to check the description for all the scripture references made today. Youth Group Radio. Peace out.